It may be the weekend, but there are no days off for the Zone Sports Network. You're listening to the Saturday Show. Can't wait, can't, can't, can't wait. It's all weekend, baby. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Bear picked it up and packed it with his right hand. Right down through the cylinder for two. Donovan working Herb Jones. Oh, Donovan Mitchell takes that and wind it back. Herb Jones has got his shoelaces tied together defending Donovan Mitchell. Who played a break on Herb Jones? Who put his shoelaces together and left him on the floor? Kicks up top. Ingram stolen by Donovan. Another steal for Donovan. Gives to Royce. Royce will go to the rim and he'll dunk it. Out to Bogdanovich. Bogdanovich penetrates. Jokic lets him go. Bogdanovich hammers with a left hand. High pick and roll for Conley. Lobs to Dokadunk. Fits for three. He got it! He got it! From half court! Look at Covey <laughs> weaving his way. Look out! Britton Covey accelerates! Can they run him down? No, they can't! Britton Covey, yet another house call as a returner! This one in the Rose Bowl, 97 yards. What a memory in his final game at Utah. Takes the handoff and just waltzes in over the left side. Tavian Thomas rushing touchdown number 21. And terrific blocking up front. Stroud pump fake. Looking for Fleming in the end zone. Under thrown and intercepted by Clark Phillips. The freshman makes his second humongous play here this afternoon. Stroud watching the end zone. Jump ball. Touchdown, Smith and Jacob. Are you kidding me? Oh, my. And the gritty, the gritty dance punctuates it. What a monster game. You can watch this sport forever. You won't see many better games by a wide receiver than this one. Mahomes throws it near side. Caught Kelsey. Touchdown. Kansas City burning tray flowers. And Kelsey couldn't get it in with his feet, but he catches it in his hands in the sweet nectar as Mahomes had time to throw. Herb Jones up top. Ingram steps into a straightaway three. Got it. Woo! It's about time, baby. Welcome into the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing great out there. A great intro once again as we come in on this Saturday morning. Thanks again for joining us. I'm Jay Catch. The Saturday show is proudly presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC, parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. As I mentioned, my name is Jake, uh, joined by my, I guess, we calling you fearless co-host slash producer Eric Jensen. You've done it two weeks in a row, so I'm just why not? Call. I don't. Why not? Why, why not? not? How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. All right. Well, we got a lot to talk about ahead on today's show. Beautiful weather up and down the Wasatch Front today. Not as cold as it has been. It's uh, what a week's difference makes. We were talking about the Rose Bowl last week and miserable cold weather out there, but this week 
Sunny, uh, had some weather come in overnight, but it is a banner day here along the Wasatch Front in Utah. And thank you once again for taking some time to join us here on the Saturday show. We got a lot to get to ahead on today's show, just as a heads up for you guys, kind of the roadmap of where we're going. We're going to talk about the Utah Jazz. Uh, they fall in Toronto last night, but I think there's a lot of caveats to put into that. We'll talk about that. We got week 18 of the NFL on tap. We've got PGA Tour golf back in our lives. College hoops. Uh, Ryan Smith joined DJ and PK yesterday, of course. He is the majority owner of the Utah Jazz and now a, has a minority stake in Real Salt Lake, joining David Blitzer in buying Real Salt Lake. So we'll let you hear that conversation here with DJ and PK. I thought it was absolutely brilliant yesterday. I want you guys to get a chance to hear that if you did not already. And we'll just have some fun along the way as well. So a lot to get to on today's show. Eric, I want to start off here, though. What was I'm, I'm going to start making this a kind of a normal thing on the podcast? What's been the highlight of your week so far? Ooh, the highlight of my well, I'll tell you easily the highlight of my week. Okay. If, if you're an Apple fan, uh-huh. if you're an Apple fan out there, and you know where Smith's Marketplace is, I don't know if it's still happening, but find a Smith's Marketplace with an electronics section. Not not a Smith's Food and Drug, but a marketplace. With, the bigger, with, with, yeah, with the bigger ones. I would recommend the one on. 3300 south next to vrei that used to be my spot by yep, the way. <laughs> that's it's it's a it's a great place airpods pros you on sale normally 250 180 oh all right there you go all right eric look at that i, I would say that was my final christmas present was right. that so yeah. I've, I've had the pros for about a year myself it's a good choice on your part I'm yeah just- put it that way so there yeah. you go highlight of the week all right yeah. airpod pros i like that all right so yeah if you guys have highlights of your week we'd love to highlight them here on the show so tweet at us i'm at jacob c hatch on twitter eric is at eric 18 utah i'd love hearing from you guys you also can sh- send it to the station twitter feed we will see those as well zone sports net uh, for the Zone Sports Network's Twitter feed. Love your guys' highlights of the week, comments, whatever you got ahead on today's show. Love having you guys along for the ride. And let's kick the show off, as we typically do, with What's the Big Deal? I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. I'm very important. Uh, I have many leather-bound books. And my apartment smells of rich mahogany. <laughs> smells of rich mahogany. That's yeah, a great intro. All right, so what's the big deal? Well, I just realized that we get to actually watch live football, Eric. We got, we got good news on our, our front. We got the FCS title game, Montana State versus North Dakota State. North Dakota State, as many of you probably know, uh, I believe now nine championships in the last ten seasons at the F- FCS subdivision level. I am rooting for Montana State. I will uh, be rooting for the Bobcats in today's game, but it should be a fun one. So we'll keep you updated on that throughout this uh, show. It just barely, literally just kicked off. So I hope you all are doing great. It's on ESPN, too, if you're looking for a place to watch it. But what's the big deal on today's show? Let's start off with the Utah Jazz. Uh, And let's start here. Eric, how are we supposed to refer to the Utah Jazz's lineup last night? I'm calling them the B-side Jazz, and that's probably an older reference for a young pup like you. Do you know what a B-side refers to? Yeah, it's like the backside of a record. Yeah, backside of a record or a tape or whatever. Yeah. Like it's kind of the 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 
alternate side. Like it's not the, as well known. And I'm calling the B side. I had people say they call them the JV squad. I had one guy pop into my on my timelines last night uh, with in my mention saying, "Let's just call them the Utah Jazz Word Ball team." Uh, you know what? Call them what you will. Last night's performance for the Utah Jazz surpassed my expectations. Let me be very clear about that. They go out and put up a 40-point first quarter, and we're just playing free and loose, and they actually, I thought, surpassed all of my expectations for them. Uh, The biggest thing about the Utah Jazz in this game is the better team ended up winning. The Jazz were playing with a shorthanded squad, nine players technically on the roster available for this game. Eight of them played. We saw the uh, most recent signings, Danwell House, uh, play actually a pretty significant role for the Utah Jazz in this game. But I just felt like, considering what I expected from this game, uh, I came away impressed by these young bucks from the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I would say last night was, I know they lost, but to me it's just a huge win for, for, for the Jazz. They played really hard. They were competitive throughout, and you see two guys in particular, Elijah Hughes and Eric Pascal. That's who I was going to go to, yeah. Who both drop nearly, as I look for the point total, Pascal, nearly 29. 30 points, yeah, and 26, 26 and 29. Mm-hmm. It's like, come on now. If those guys can do this at a starting level, they need to, one, be seeing way more time in the rotation than they're currently seeing. And I think that helps because there are some guys within the Jazz lineup, like, say, a Royce O'Neal, who aren't getting that many points every night at their at their positions at, at, at the four, which Eric Pascal can play. And I, I just really think that the more depth the Jazz can develop, the more that's going to help them. And again, I'll come back to my original point. As it pertains to all Jazz matters in the playoffs, this is what's going to count is having great uh, Jazz players. And you saw some stuff from their youth, too. I mean, Udoka Azabuke looked good he he put up one of his better performances that he's had playing at the NBA level after a solid night in Denver as well and then you have guys who are learning Jared Jared Butler puts up 17 points but he's still learning how to shoot over NBA length and he's still getting his feet kind of under him and he could probably benefit from some more time in the G League I think but He's on the right track, and you got to see tangible progress in this game. I thought this was a really positive development for looking at the Jazz's youth development and seeing how that's coming along, and it's it's going pretty well. Yeah, I, I think the thing with this is last night these guys were playing with essentially house money. I, I, I don't expect one big performance from Elijah Hughes or a huge performance from Eric Pascal to mean that they're going to supplant somebody that's in the regular rotation. The Jazz played with, in theory, with, without, excuse me, their top eight players. Uh, the Really, the only rotation guy who played in this game was Hassan Whiteside. He finishes with seven points and seven rebounds, uh, five personal fouls for him in this game. Eric Pascal, I thought, had a really nice performance because what I saw from Pascal last night, and I know that uh, Ron Boone talked about this on Postcast on Locked On Jazz with David Locke last night, is Eric Pascal showed us something that we did not know, or I, at least I didn't know about his game. He's always been a power guy, a guy that you go to the rack and can jam on people. He did that, but... He was breaking guys down off the dribble and making shots. Uh, He was 2 of 7 from 3, so not a great shooting percentage from beyond the arc, but 10 of 21 from the field. 
I thought he performed better than I anticipated. Elijah Hughes, this dude can shoot. 7 of 12 from the three-point line, uh, one off of the franchise record for threes made in a game. I thought he also had a nice performance. And I looked up at the end of the night, and he had eight rebounds. That was actually very impressive from him to have eight rebounds. It was a collective effort from the Jazz with their eight-guy rotation to just get in there and rebound as a team. I felt like the Jazz made the first half about as good as you could possibly make it. And the one thing I also uh, want to pass along is I felt like the, this Jazz squad, because let's be honest, Toronto's probably looking at the Jazz coming into that game last night thinking, okay, they're bringing nobody here. Let's just go out, run them in the first half, and we'll have an easy, we'll have an easy second half. We can just kind of, we can just sail from there. Well, the Jazz made it tough on them. Jazz held the lead until midway through the third quarter, and they forced Toronto, Fred Van Vliet, and company to go out and beat them. That I think is the biggest mark of what this Jazz squad did. Is this was a Jazz team that uh, the B side? When you have Eric Pascal, Elijah Hughes, Hassan Whiteside, Trent Forrest, and Jared Butler as your starting five, the like I said, the only regular rotation player in that starting five was Hassan Whiteside. Their bench players: Malik Fitz, who's on a two-way deal; Denwell House made his Jazz debut on a ten-day contract; and Aduka Azubuki, who we have been hoping to, that would actually start to develop a little bit. As you mentioned, I think he's shown some things in these past two games, and he's taken on a bigger role with both Rudy Gobert and also against Denver with Hassan Whiteside out. This was the Jazz team that just needed to go out and not fall all over themselves. And I thought in the first half, they absolutely did it. The second half, they had their issues. Uh, Trent Forrest and Jared Butler, they combined for 15 turnovers in this game. Forrest with seven, Butler with eight. In the first half, the Jazz had seven turnovers as a team. That's actually not a bad number considering the youth and inexperience with this squad. The second half, the wheels kind of came off. 14 turnovers. Uh, Jared Butler turning it over off the dribble. Trent Forrest did not have his finest performance. Uh, had seven uh, turnovers as compared to eight assists. That's not a great percentage. So, there are things that were good about this performance, but there's things that are also expected. Now, they get ready now for a quick turnaround as they're going to be in Indiana tonight. Uh, according to what I saw last night, all the players who crossed the border into Canada to play in Toronto last night, their PCR test came back negative, so they'll be able to get back across the border, back into the United States to get to Indiana. That was actually a big concern, is if you go to Canada, you cross international borders here, you test positive, you're stuck in Toronto for two weeks. Right. So they had to be very careful about how they did this because the Jazz right now are dealing with a COVID outbreak. I don't know, outbreak's probably too strong of a term, but Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert are currently in health and safety protocols. As we've seen from the NBA over the past few weeks, it seems to come uh, and hit different guys at different times. So this could be a multi-week stretch here where the Jazz have guys in and out of the lineup due to COVID health and safety protocols. The hope is that they don't, but... I think just based on the evidence that we've seen from it, they're going to have to just navigate things. I like what you said a little bit earlier, Eric, though, that the, these young guys, they went out and showed us something. That's the biggest thing. I, I was terrified last night when I heard about the lineup. I'm like, oh, geez, these guys are going to get it run by 30, and it's not even going to be competitive from the get-go. They came out and put up a 40-point first quarter. Uh, I think it was 62 at halftime, and I just sat there. I'm like, sweet. These guys can play, and they know the system. They know what's going on. That's the thing, I, the mark of a good franchise, is that these guys who barely get playing time, they're, they're, they're role players for the Utah Jazz as currently constituted when their top guys are available. They came in and ran what the Jazz run. This was not a new 
completely new uh, lineup for the Jazz to go out in this game. They just took care of business. And that's the mark, I think, of what Quinn Snyder has endeavored to build here with the Utah Jazz. And I, for one, I, I came away impressed. Now, uh, one other note on this is that the Jazz now, as I mentioned, go to Indiana tonight. What will that squad look like? We don't know. I, have you seen a new injury report this morning? I have not seen one, Eric. So Not yet, no. So uh, we're going to find out. Hopefully we'll have an update for you guys throughout today's show or at some point during today's show about the injury report. But the top eight guys of the Jazz rotation were out last night due to a mixture of injuries and also health and safety protocols. The hope is you get at least a few of those guys back for this game against Indiana. I'd guess like a guy like Mike Conley, who we know has been uh, sitting out front or back halves of uh, back-to-back games, I would expect a guy like him is available. He actually may have just gone straight to Indiana. He probably didn't even cross the border. He's probably waiting there in Indianapolis for the Jazz to arrive last night. And I would expect a guy like him is potentially going to play tonight. I would think a guy like Royce O'Neal, uh, patellar tendinitis, probably takes a night off and is available. Jordan Clarkson, low back tightness. You hope that loosens up and he's able to play, but we'll find out. All right, let's transition now and talk a little NFL football. All right, it is week 18 in the NFL this week, and it feels a little weird. And, Eric, I know that you're an NFL guy. It's kind of been your background. How weird does it feel that we typically have NFL playoff games this weekend, but instead we've got week 18 action? Well, it's the longest season ever. Yeah, 17-game seasons. As they've uh, advertised to the point of no return. But uh, I, I... think you're going to have years where it turns into an issue because how many teams are going to be playing starters on Sunday is a real question I have because in the AFC you're probably safe because the one seed's not locked up yet and of course with the new playoff formatting the one seed is the most important thing you can get during the the regular season but in the NFC the Packers already have it. I wouldn't expect they play Aaron Rodgers unless Aaron Rodgers is just begging to play. <laughs> I mean, you look at the rest of the the lineup, too. At that point, it's just about matchups. There are almost all teams in the NFC are locked up. The Buccaneers have made it. The Cardinals have made it. The Rams have made it. That's kind of, you, you've got five teams that have clinched, and then you have those fascinating scenarios between the 49ers and the Rams, but who knows if the Rams are even going to play their starters, given that, you know, they've, they have it. Now, it's just, it's tough. I, I really think it's it's tough to predict who's going to play tomorrow and who isn't because divisions are still on the line for some teams some teams that's not the case and you've got covid running all over the place it's just going to be a really weird and interesting week but i'm not sure we're going to learn a lot from it so we do have two games today we have Kansas City at Denver, and then we have Dallas at Philadelphia. Uh, ESPN, ABC, ESPN Plus, if you want to watch those games. Uh, neither one of those have a ton of intrigue in them because, as you mentioned, most of the playoff uh, field has been set. Most of the teams are in. Really, the only uh, question marks we have, and Eric, I know you know this probably better than I do, the only question marks that we have 
currently for the playoffs is the 49ers, if they win, they're in. And there needs to be some machinations that take place uh, for New Orleans to supplant San Francisco into the NFC playoffs. On the AFC side of things, it comes down to, and correct me if I'm wrong here, Eric, tomorrow night, Sunday night football, Los Angeles Chargers at the Las Vegas Raiders, which our good friend Lloyd Cole is actually going to this game. Uh, Winner is in, loser goes home. Is that right? Unless. Oh, I forgot about this part. This is weird. Oh, let's not. Do we need to delve into this? This is so weird. Okay, go ahead. But if the Jaguars beat the Colts, Uh if the Chargers and Raiders tie, they (laughs) beat. Both get into the playoffs. So yeah. that would be a really interesting scenario if, if that ended up happening. Now, the Jaguars aren't very good. I don't think they're No, they're not be. not good. Not only good, they're downright awful. Yeah. Their fans are going to wear clown costumes tomorrow to protest against Shad Khan. I saw that. Very funny. Um, owner, yeah. No, I, you know, I think that... That game between the Raiders and the Chargers is going to be an interesting case study in who can be more consistent. The Chargers have had consistent quarterback play the whole year. Justin Herbert has operated like a top 10 quarterback for the whole year. He hasn't battled with the ups and downs some other top 10 quarterbacks have had this year. I found that pretty interesting yesterday. I was talking on a podcast about it and I you know I I kind of got to thinking Jake like unless your name is Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes there is a huge like variance in quarterback play right now in within the top 10 you look at guys like Joe Burrow some weeks it's good some weeks it's not so good you look at guys like Kyler Murray, Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford all these Derek Carr, who I would argue is a top 10 passer this year. And it's all about consistency of a quarterback position. But that, that's that's another point. I just want to see who shows up in this game. I think the Raiders have a legitimate shot to win because the Chargers as a team have been wildly inconsistent. They've had great quarterback play, but at points their defense hasn't shown up. And at other points their running game has completely disappeared which is a little bit weird considering they have a great pass protecting line they for some reason have had spurts where Austin Eckler cannot get the ball moving on the ground this year so it'll be interesting to see what happens between these two teams but I do think the Raiders have a very good shot of pulling up what what does Vegas have this at would the Raiders be an upset I feel like I think spread-wise, probably. Yeah, I feel like the Raiders would be an upset spread-wise, but I think the Raiders win this game, to be honest with you. Well, they're at home. They're going to obviously have their fans behind them, and that that's the interesting part about this, is you win and you're in. And Okay, so I'm just looking at this right now. Uh, line is actually, yeah, so it would be an upset. Uh, so the line is minus three for the Chargers, based on what I'm seeing here. So uh, Chargers are favored to go to Las Vegas and win this game. I I hope the Raiders win. I, I'm a little bit of a homer in a way because the Va- the Las Vegas Raiders kind of become our team here in this market because they're now the closest team to Utah. We are obviously we broadcast all of the Raider games here on the Zone Sports Network. 
But considering the turmoil that Las Vegas has gone through this year, John Gruden getting fired, Henry Ruggs III and his awful situation, everything that the Raiders have gone through, for them to win and get in here would be absolutely stunning. And to do it at the Chargers' expense, you know old-school Raiders fans are just giddy at that thought. This is a big game for the Chargers because this is a moment where you say, okay, the franchise really has changed the corner, or you say, oh, it's the same old Chargers. Sure, yeah. Chargers going to Charger. And if the Chargers get a win here and get in, that's such a positive for them. But if they lose, it's almost, it's just, it's a travesty. And you you look at the team and you say, you've wasted a year of Justin Herbert and even though you thought you had this right coach and you thought you had everything fixed, mm-hmm. there's still something jinxy or weird around this franchise that just won't allow for success, whereas the Raiders are kind of playing with house money. Like they are. three weeks ago, nobody thought the Raiders would be in this situation, oh, and then they not. won three straight, uh-huh. and, and they're here. The Raiders are playing with house money. They're playing fast and loose, and I I think that that's the reason I I think they're going to win this game. Yeah, it'll be interesting. And uh, if the Raiders win, they make the playoffs, that'll be a very interesting conversation about what they're going to do coaching-wise. There have been rumors out there about Jim Harbaugh kind of figuring things out at Michigan and then deciding, I got you guys to where you wanted me to go, and now I'm jumping back to the NFL. And, well, where did he start his coaching career in the NFL? With the Raiders. So it would be interesting to see if Jim Harbaugh would entertain that. But Rich Bisaccia, their head coach, their interim head coach, to keep this team together and have them on the doorstep of making the playoffs. What a phenomenal story that would be. All right. Uh, We will have more in a moment uh, coming up on today's show. As we mentioned, you'll be able to hear the conversation that Ryan Smith, owner of the Utah Jazz and now a new minority owner of Real Salt Lake, he joined at DJ and PK yesterday. I thought it was an absolutely incredible conversation uh, involving both of these franchises. Let you hear that. A lot more coming up. We'll also get to five minutes of talk about some soccer and hockey and what we call sake. So a whole lot more. Stay with us. This is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. You're stuck at the mall, in the yard, or making a quick trip to the home improvement store. We've got your back. It's gonna be May. This is the Saturday Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Slow Mojo. The Joe Ingles Show with DJ and... Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network, brought to you by our friends over at Mountainland Supply. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, uh, let's run around the world of sports here. I think there's a number of different topics that I wanted to touch on. Uh, We talked about the jazz a lot in that first segment, also some NFL thoughts. But, Eric, we didn't get our chance to really give our take on the Rose Bowl because we previewed it last week on the show. And I was sitting there thinking about it. I'm like, we didn't really get a chance to really talk about what we took away from that game. Let me just start off at the top. That was a highly, highly entertaining game, uh, just from an entertainment aspect. I get if you're a University of Utah fan, it's 
it hurts to come up short in that game. But from the sheer entertainment perspective, that game was worth every dime I think you spent to get down to Pasadena to watch that game. Weather was good. Crowd was electric. Uh, I wish I would have been there in person to be able to watch it myself because it just seemed like a, a perfect day to be out there supporting the Utes. And weather here along the Wasatch Front was not great, uh, to be honest. But I think the biggest thing I took away from it, and Eric, you can add your, your thought on this, is that the entertainment perspective alone made that game worth everything, I felt like, from both teams, a 48-45 to shootout that featured pretty much everything we could have hoped for. Yeah, very simply put, when, when people keep bringing it up to me this week, it was the best football game I've ever watched. Maybe. I've got one that you need to watch if you need to watch a more entertaining one. It also uh, involves the Rose Bowl. Okay, I'll ju- I know what what you're referencing, Texas USC. Everybody, yes. everybody. That says, is the best college football game in college football history, right. in my opinion. This though might be in the top ten. It, it, it's up there. You yeah. know, it, it it was absolutely fantastic from start to finish. As a Utah fan, obviously a little disappointed as that they lost, but. Really, I wasn't that disappointed at all. I thought this was a huge proving ground for the program to say, hey, look, we can take on any team in the country and go toe-to-toe with them. They lost by three points. That's it. That's it. That's, that's how much they lost by. They didn't lose by a touchdown. They didn't lose by 10. They didn't get blown out. They lost by three points, and they lost – partially because play calling got a little bit sheepish in the second half, and they lost their starting quarterback. I was going to say, the, the quarterback situation. Yeah. But, okay. With Bryson Barnes, though, they should have <laughs> let him throw more on that first series because, I mean, he went down the field, and when they asked him to throw, he made big-time throws. That touchdown throw was impressive. Yeah. And they should have, you know, they should have had more faith in him. The 1A really. football legend Bryson Barnes. If you want a really cool conversation, yeah, DJ and PK this week. With, with the football coach. Thane Marshall, who's the head coach of Milford High School, where Bryson Barnes was a, was a star. He was a four-year starter for the Tigers, uh, competing at the 1 and 2A level. There was a time during his high school career for Bryson that actually got away. They got rid of 1A football for a couple of years. It's back now. Uh, but we had Thane Marshall, his head coach from Milford, on with DJ and PK. You can go search out DJ and PK in the morning on whichever podcast provider you happen to be uh, using, and you can listen to that conversation because uh, Coach Marshall, Eric, had your exact same thought. Let that young man really throw. He felt like the moment wasn't too big for him. I feel like the moment wasn't too big for him. He came in, and that touchdown pass was inch perfect. He had an open guy. He hit him right at the back part of the end zone. A great throw. And to think a kid who is a walk-on from a 1A high school here in the state of Utah can throw a touchdown pass in the Rose Bowl just gives me all of the chills. It's just a, it's a story that you cannot make up. So I think overall, the football season here locally, good football season. Disappointing bowl losses for both BYU and Utah, no doubt. Uh, impressive football win for Utah State. And by the way, did you see the tweet last night from Utah State about Oregon State blowing oh, up yeah. their stadium? It was only a bowl game, guys. That was awesome. So credit to the social media team up there at Utah State for that one because that was that was just mwah. that was that was a great tweet. But anyways, I think college football wise, it was fun. 
Other notes, uh, college hoops. We're finally seeing them get back on the court. We saw BYU and Pacific square off on Thursday night. Uh, Eric, how much college hoops have you watched this year? I, know, I, I think you're like most people. You probably haven't watched much. You know, I watch BYU Utah. and Utah pretty uh-huh. regularly and some of the bigger Big 12 and Big 10 games. Sure. Um, you watch more than most people then. I, I, I like college basketball. I usually, you know, now, do I know enough about it to talk about it super confidently all the time? No, but it's a great background sport, I think. I put it on, and, you know, obviously the NBA has a higher quality of game. Absolutely. But, I, you know, I like the atmosphere. I like, you know, I've got Wichita St- State and Houston on up here in the in the booth, and, uh-huh. and you know, I enjoy that. I've been interested in BYU getting back on the court um, because the West Coast Conference is up right now. They're having sure. their best decade. Yeah, um, They might have four tournament teams, and that's, that's pretty crazy to watch. So that league has been insanely fun to follow. Um, I'm excited for Utah State to get back, though. They, they have had... It's more than two weeks off now, right? Yeah, about two weeks off because of uh, COVID concerns, not in their program, but within Boise that that shut down that game and San they Jose take State on, before that. Yeah. Yep, and they take on uh, New Mexico tonight, and that becomes a must-win game. Every game for them becomes a must-win game after dropping that game to Air Force, and I'm interested to see if if Utah State can go on a little bit of a run here and try to build their resume up a little bit before they get to the all-important conference tournament at the end of February there. All right, a couple of notes from Thursday night. BYU and Utah were the only local teams in action. Uh, Portland State and SUU had been put on uh, postponement due to Portland State having some issues with COVID in their own right. Uh, Both of these games, speaking of the Cougars and the Utes on Thursday night, were tracking similarly. And let me explain what I I mean by that. I I was tracking both of them. I was watching them on dual screens. BYU tipped off a half an hour earlier. So I really saw this play out in two uh, alternate fashions. So BYU and Pacific, the Tigers are not a good team, but they're a physical team. They, they play a grinding style of basketball. Damon Stoudemire had been their head coach, really implemented the style. Leonard Williams has taken over since Damon Stoudemire uh, went to the NBA to join Ime Udoka's staff with the Boston Celtics. But Pacific still playing very much that grinder style. And BYU found themselves in a little bit of a rock fight in this game. With about 10 minutes to go, Pacific got themselves within six points, and it felt like, okay, this game is going to tip one way or the other. Either Pacific is going to continue this trend of making BYU work for everything they've got, or the Cougars are going to find an answer, and all of a sudden they're going to blow this game wide open. Well, the Cougars blew it wide open. They started making timely threes. Uh, Guys like Seneca Knight, Trevin Nell, all coming up with big shots. Alex Barcelo being his typical self uh, being the leader for BYU and then Fusini Traore have a having a nice night himself BYU goes on to win 73 to 51 they, they turned it on pulled away in the final 10 minutes of this game and made it a laugher now Utah in the second half of their game against Washington held a 14 point lead with about 10 minutes to go it became a six point game 
Washington started heating up, and Utah could not fend them off. Washington goes on a run down the stretch, and Utah cannot find the answer, and they fall 74-68 to to the Washington Huskies. That is the Huskies' first Pac-12 win. This is a program that has been having all kinds of COVID issues, so they're now 1-1 one one in the Pac-12. And the Utes, the running Utes, are now 1-4 in Pac-12 play, 8-7 on the season, and in dead last in the Pac-12. That's a disappointment. Sucks. I mean, part of the goal this year, I think, to start the Craig Smith era was Pac-12's going to be okay. They're going to be a middling league like they usually are. Uh-huh. You got to beat the bad teams. And, and so far, they, they have not beaten the bad teams. They, they went have, to Oregon State, who was 2 and 10 They have beat. gotten embarrassed by the bad teams. And they hold, it seems like it's the same story. They hold leads for portions of the first half. They play scrappy, but they just don't have enough. I don't know if it's talent. I don't know if it's, you know, stamina, but they just can't finish. And uh, it's, you know, it's another disappointing year for Utah basketball. But, you know, takes time. Takes time. That, That roster has not been in great shape. Health wise, yeah. And. You know, Craig Smith can be aggressive in the transfer portal this offseason. If he does that, I think that they can get back on the right track very quickly. But right now, it's about surviving. And it's not like they're totally dead, but they have got to start stringing some wins together to, you know, do something a little bit more impressive than what's happened thus far. Yeah, it's year one of Craig Smith's run at Utah. So I will say, though, Brain Carlson. Brandon Carl, Brandon Carlson. Brandon Carlson. Yeah. Amazing player. He's a good player, yeah. Um, probably has some NBA second-round type vibes. To we'll him, we'll so, see. Yeah. The, the thing about Utah right now is Craig Smith, he's trying to get this roster right. And he said in the postgame on Thursday night that he needs to settle on a lineup. The, the issue is, you already brought this up, Eric, is the fact that they have not had health on their side. It's, it's been a big concern for them. So, We'll find out. Uh, the schedule today, uh, you have Dixie State and Utah Valley squaring off in the battle for the Old Hammer. Yes, they're rivals. They're playing in whack play now. That'll start at 2 o'clock. Utah welcomes in welcomes in Washington State, who is 1-2 in Pac-12 play at 4 o'clock up at the Huntsman Center. That'll be on the Pac-12 network. Uh, NAU and Southern Utah score off at 5 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. As we already brought up, Utah State finally returning to action down in the pit in Albuquerque, taking on New Mexico. That uh, game scheduled to tip off at 6 o'clock Mountain Time. That'll be a 5.30 pregame here on the Zone Sports Network on 1280 AM, opposite of the Utah Jazz. Scott Gerard will be on the call there. And then uh, rounding out the night, St. Mary's and BYU squaring off, two of the big dogs in the West Coast Conference, down there at the Marriott Center, 8 o'clock Mountain Time tonight on ESPN2. St. Mary's 12-3, and BYU 13-3 and in that game. Uh, there was some concern earlier in the week that St. Mary's, uh, having had three of their games in West Coast Conference play canceled so far, or not canceled, postponed due to COVID issues within the Gales program, would not be able to play in this game, but they got the clearance uh, Thursday that they will be playing. So some uh, full night of college hoops here locally. We'll have more on that, obviously, throughout the upcoming week. Uh, one other note before we take a break here, Eric, is Monday night we have a national championship game. Are you excited for an all-SEC final once again? Hmm. Am I bothered that it's the SEC? 
In this scenario, no, the more I thought about it, because it's just clear to me that these are the two best teams in the country. They deserve to be here. I mean, sure. everybody, by and large, who deserved to get into the college football playoff got in. Michigan couldn't hang with Georgia. Cincinnati couldn't hang with Alabama. If you can't hang with the best teams in the land, then you don't deserve to be in the title game. And if Alabama blows Georgia out in the title game and everyone says, well, why was Georgia in? Well, it's probably because Alabama's just that much better than Georgia. And what we saw against Texas A&M was a total fluke. And Alabama just dropped the game Mm -hmm. and ended up being the best team in the country with the best quarterback in the country. So I'm not too bothered by it. I'm not bothered by the fact that this is, I think, going to be a classic game because, as you mentioned, I think they are clearly the two best teams in the sport this year. Uh, the thing is, it's just it's going to lend itself to a lot of people tuning out because of the fact that it's the SEC once again dominating this. That That is my concern, is that it's not going to get the, the eyeballs on it that it typically should well, and probably wants to have. Well, maybe not locally, but... You don't think every person in the southern United um, States is SEC countries watch SEC countries tuning isn't, in, and isn't that a majority of college football fans in in the country? There's college football fans all around this country. That I think there are people in the Northeast, the Midwest, the West Coast out here. I think people in the Midwest and the East Coast are still going to tune into that game. We'll see. I I think that I I just think that there is a bad narrative brewing. Even though, as I said, I think this is going to be a good game. These are two elite teams. Uh, I think there is just there are regions of this country who are like, great, two SEC teams, eh, click, I'm I'm out. I honestly th- think that's going to happen all around this country outside of the SEC. That that that's my personal opinion on it. But I'm actually looking forward to this game. I have a similar thought to you that elite quarterback play is going to prevail in this, and Alabama is going to go back to back as national champions. I just think that Bryce Young, the Heisman Trophy winner, he is head and shoulders a better quarterback than Stetson Bennett. Stetson Bennett has been good for Georgia, but you need elite quarterback play if you want to win it all, and I just don't think that's the one thing that Georgia does not have is elite quarterback play. So we'll find out. That's uh, Monday night on ESPN if you want to tune into that. Uh, Currently in the FCS championship game down in Frisco, Texas, uh, well, North Dakota State doing what they typically do. They are up 14-0 on Montana State. The Bison are just a juggernaut. They are unlike many other dynasties in college football history. You may not uh, pay attention much to them because they play at the FCS level, but they are an elite program. They're very, very good in Montana State having their issues early on in this one. So it's uh, 14 nothing uh, in the second quarter of that game down there in Frisco. If you want to watch it, it's on ESPN2. All right, more in a moment. We'll get to technical fouls. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll let you hear from uh, Ryan Smith, the owner of the Utah Jazz, as well as minority owner of the Real Salt Lake. Join DJ and PK yesterday. We'll let you hear that conversation as well. More to come. This is the Saturday Show right here on 97.5 FM, 1280 AM, and the Zone Sports Network. From the street with dirty shoes on your feet That's a technical foul If you switch the radio to some modern music 
show. That's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal file, 69, office. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. As you just heard, it's time for technical fouls, one of the staples of this fine program where we talk about people doing dumb things in the world of sports, and sometimes it goes beyond the, the world of sports. But, Eric, I'm going to let you fire off this week, so fire away, my friend. All right, well, I'm going to go with the obvious one because I'm not very good at these yet. Okay. Uh, Antonio Brown. Well, uh Okay, there's an adage out there is to uh, what's the adage? It's uh, it's better to stay silent than open your mouth and re- remove all doubt. Is that is that the correct phraseology there? Sure, that sounds right. Like to make yourself sound like a fool, and yeah. he keeps talking and comes off more and more like a fool. Yeah. Now this is supposed to be a funny segment and all, but I am legitimately worried about Antonio Brown. He doesn't seem to be quite all there you know in 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 the cabeza region but i would just say that you listen to tom brady's comments and that should inform how you feel about the situation because he was very concerned and said we just hope everything ends up being okay he encouraged empathy and I think that that's just a good approach to take in all life. Let's have empathy for people who, you know, need it. And I think Antonio Brown needs a lot of sympathy and, and, you know, help right now. Now, it doesn't help that he's burning every bridge in the book. He then went on to trash talk Tom Brady. But, you know, I, I hope Antonio Brown gets wherever he's going. And, uh, but... I have a feeling this is the end of his NFL career. I would tend to agree with you. Talent does seem to win out in the NFL by and large, but he is 33 years old. He's not what he once was. He's still good, but he's not what he once was. What he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers was the best ever. Yeah, so I'm kind of with you. I think this might be the end for him, but hope, as you said, hopefully they can figure things out. Now, on a lighter note, let's talk about a Republican state lawmaker from Tennessee. Okay. I don't know if you saw this story this week, but a Republican state lawmaker is doing damage control after, quote, acting the fool, unquote, and losing his temper at a referee during a high school basketball game in Tennessee on January 4th. Republican Jeremy Faison, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, was kicked out of a game between Lakeway Christian Academy and Providence Academy in Johnson City after he yelled at a referee and then, this is where it gets good, attempted to pull down the ref's pants which was caught on video. Who amongst us hasn't gone to a high school basketball game and tried to pants a ref, though? Not I. (laughs) I'm just saying. Uh, Faison, in a statement released uh, uh, this past week, I believe, uh, this incident occurred in the third quarter of the game after the players got physical over a loose ball, and Faison ended up interjecting himself as referees tried to separate the teams. Faison was told to leave the gym before he's lost his uh, his temper with referee Paul Pendleton and tugged at Pendleton's pants in an attempt to yank them down and off. That's the quote. Down and off. He wanted to pull the guy's pants off. 
His uh, statement uh, released on social media said this. For years, I thought how wrong it is when a parent loses their temper at a sporting event. It's not Christian and it's not mature and it's embarrassing to the child to have have always been my thoughts. Unfortunately, I acted the fool tonight and lost my temper on a ref. I was wanting him to fight me, totally lost my junk and got booted from the gym. I've never really lost my temper, but I did tonight, and it was completely stupid of me. Emotions getting in the way of rational thoughts are never good. I hope to be able to find that ref and ask for his forgiveness. I was bad wrong. Okay. Bad wrong? We need to work on your syntax and (laughs) statements. Because this guy, if I read it correctly, I believe he's also the state uh, house GOP chair. Let's see here. Uh, I'm trying to find this. You know, I just think that sometimes people lose their temper at, at these games and you say some unruly things sure. to, to officials. It just, you gotta sometimes have some awareness, especially if you're a public figure, to not do that because you're expected to be the person that's not the crazy parent at the mm-hmm. high school game who wants to fight for ref in the parking lot. Unfortunately, we hold public servants to a higher standard than we do as they should be held to a higher standard right (laughs) then you know average everyday joe who just wants to see his kid post a triple double (laughs) so i mean it yeah this is a story man too bad this guy got in the in the crosshairs hopefully hopefully he can rebound you know that, I, I hope that's the theme of today. I'm yeah. about redemption. Sure, let's, yeah. Let's let's give this guy a little bit of redemption today. But let's not try and pants a referee. Yeah, right? that's and, weird too. Like, I mean, what? Okay, what? I don't need to break here. What rational thought in the midst? Uh, in, I know it's not rational what he was doing to begin with, interjecting himself as referees are trying to clear the fracas and get guys separated and everything. But to put yourself in the middle of that, dumb number one. But. Yeah. In the middle of that, as you're arguing back and forth with this referee, who in their right mind, and maybe he's not in his right mind, thinks, I'm going to pants this dude? Yeah, that's not really the first, <laughs> like, like... Are we in elementary that's school? That's not really, like, the first act of violence. Maybe, like, a swift punch to the chest or a slap across the face. May, but, but pantsing someone, that just seems... Yeah, you're right. So juvenile, so elementary. I mean, you go go for something a little bit, you know, kick the guy in, in his nether region. You know, there, there are just other things to I do. I wanted him to fight me. He, that's his exact quote. I wanted him to fight me. What what makes you think if you pants a dude, he's going to fight me? I No, the dude's going to look at you being very embarrassed yeah. and, and being like, what, what, wait, what, what are you what doing? What did you just yeah. do to me? Yeah. Like, this is crazy. All right, um, one thing before we go here. Uh, Clinto Pete uh, Clinto Pete says, Technical foul on both of you for saying the Rose Bowl was the best football game ever. Clint? Technically, I, ne- I said that. Eric said that. Hand Don't up. Do not do not put me in that conversation. Clint, you mentioned that I've watched the Miracle Bowl, 1980 BYU, coming back from 25 points down inside three minutes to beat SMU. I was not alive for that game. My father was in the stands that night at old Jack Murphy Stadium in San Diego. Watch that game live. My dad and my grandfather, Clint, are with you. That is the greatest single football game and comeback they have ever seen in their life. They will swear to it. They are still alive, and I could get them on air, and they would say that exact thing. He also says the 93 Bills 32-point comeback over the Oilers. That is actually a really good one, too. Frank Reich, now the head coach of the Colts, led that comeback. I hate being young. 
Because all people do is say, oh, well, you didn't see I know, this. I know. Why don't you just let me qualify Eric, it by Eric. saying everything I say is within my lifetime. <laughs> Eric, I don't care But you were alive lifetime. for that for that Rose Bowl between Texas and USC. And that, that game, to me, is the greatest college football game I have ever seen in my life. When was that? It was in 2005. Okay. I probably, you know, I didn't start Vince watching Young sports until Vince Young single-handedly lifted Texas to a national championship over one of the best single football teams in college football history in USC. It was a spectacular game. So, Clint, I did not say this this past Rose Bowl. That's all on Eric, so Clint, let's be clear. I do not apologize. I'll never apologize. You should apologize because it's not the greatest football game ever. I, all right. Anyways. <laughs> All right, that's enough. All right, coming up next, <laughs> Ryan Smith, owner of the Utah Jazz and now minority owner of Real Salt Lake, joined DJ and PK yesterday. Uh, we will let you hear that conversation next, right here on the Saturday Show, brought to you, by the way, by our friends over at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, uh, parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. More in a moment. This is the Saturday Show, right here on The Zone. Let's go live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and Aggies, even on the weekend. weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. I'm not going yet. It's a joke, Eric. Come on, don't turn me off. I I, I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> ruin you. That's my greatest fear is ruining someone. No, we were fine. I was just having some fun with you. Just vibing. Yeah, vibing to the music. So good choice. All right, welcome back to the Saturday Show. Hour two of the program underway right now. Jay Catch, Eric Jensen along for the ride here on the Saturday. Hope you all are doing great out there wherever you are here along the Wasatch Front or even beyond that by listening on the Zone app. We are here every Saturday from 10 to noon. Uh, really recapping the week in sports here on the station, but also getting ready for the weekend in sports because Saturday's a busy day in the sports world, as we all know, and we're previewing that. Uh, one thing, by the way, uh, Clint Peterson just sent this back to us. He sent us a picture of Uncle Cy from Duck Dynasty saying, I'm in my prime. So there you go, Eric. You've, you, and you have been owned on your Rose Bowl take. I'm glad. <laughs> All right. All right. Time to uh, let you guys hear, hear from Ryan Smith. Uh, he is, of course, the majority owner of uh, the Utah Jazz, buying an 80% stake in the club uh, just over a year ago now, maybe a little longer than that. And then uh, most recently this week, officially announced as part of the ownership group headed by David Blitzer, uh, taking over ownership of Real Salt Lake, connecting these two clubs here locally. Uh, I think all things considered, pretty much a dream scenario if you're a Real Salt Lake fan. We'll actually discuss more about that here in a little bit. But let's let you guys hear from Ryan Smith. He joined DJ and PK in the morning yesterday. Had a great conversation about taking over ownership of both clubs. And here you go. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We're joined now by Ryan Smith. Majority owner of the Utah Jazz, and he now has a minority stake in Real Salt Lake as well. Ryan, welcome to the show. What's up, guys? How's it going? <laughs> well, you bought another team. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how this stuff works, but we end up, uh, we, uh, man, like, 
the world's a crazy place because we originally started kind of down this road in sports with RSL and, and talking to Millers ended up, you know, going into the, the jazz and it all came through RSL. And then a year later, you know, I'm talking with Blitz and he's like, Hey, this is a, this is a good opportunity. And I'm a soccer guy. Let's go do this. We'd love to have you involved. And it, you know, I think the original thesis of RSL was right. It was just in the wrong order. Yeah, for sure. We had, you know, we had heard of your interest in, in this, so it didn't come as a surprise to us that you got involved. I'm wondering, when you go into these ventures, how much research do you do before you absolutely say, okay, yes, this is the right thing to do? I mean, first of all, it's like, I think that, and and it's hard it's hard to understand this, but you know, sports is a long-term commitment, right? You know, these sports franchises, they're, you know, no one gets, I mean, at least from on, on the ownership side, no one's getting a paycheck, right? And I think, I think there's probably a perception out there that these, these create a bunch of, you know, instant wealth or this or that. Um, it's really about the community. And if this MLS team was not in Utah, there'd be no chance that we would have a part of it. And, you know, when we did the jazz, I was super fortunate to put together a couple people who don't live in Utah, who are all in on Utah. They love Utah. And it's pretty amazing that when we have an opportunity like this, you know, everyone on the jazz side basically unanimously was like, we're all in on soccer. Even though there's probably two or two of them that will never go to a soccer game or be there and willing to commit because of the broader vision and the good they see in Utah. And that's, that's special. And that's what allow us to, to go in and do this. And so um, you do a bunch of research. I mean, you got to be familiar with it, but you know, both the jazz and RSL, like I'm a fan first. Right. And so it's kind of a unique spot to be in. I'm also a sponsor first, which is also another unique spot to be in. And so I, I think that it helps a lot. Different owners probably handle it differently. Maybe different owners, the ones who own multiple teams, handle it differently with each club, I, w- I would assume. But I'm curious how you parcel out your time. Uh, you're married. We all know relationships take time, effort, yeah. and energy. And you got kids. And if we raise kids, we know they take time, energy, and, and focus and all that. You got a company to run. You got a team to run. You got other things you're interested in. We've heard you on social and political issues. Like, how much time do you put into the jazz in an average week and how much time do you think you're going to put into RSL an average week and how much of the research PK talks about was business and how much of the research was personal because you got all these other things to focus on too? Yeah, it's a good question. I think a lot of people are trying trying to figure that out. I mean, that's been a question that you're always trying to figure out how to balance, um, you know, and reinventing yourself. I think we all do that. Um, you know, and, and I think first and foremost, no one's perfect, right? So I'm not perfect at all. And, um, you know, time allocation's hard because it creeps up on you. Like you, you say, hey, this is how much time I'm going to go put into something. And then you look at your calendar. And I used to run this exercise for like 10 years where it's like, where did I actually spend time versus where I thought I spent time? And then you're super surprised that, oh my word, I spent 20 hours this week on this and I wasn't planning on it. And we all, we all kind of do that. Um, when it comes to sports though, 
Um, let's just break it down with like RSL first. So I hope, and I said this yesterday, it's like we are so incredibly fortunate as a state of Utah that David Blitzer planted his MLS flag here. Like I cannot be more direct on that. There's only two soccer franchises in the world that have a portfolio like David does, and it's Man City, and it's what David's put together with six European teams, including Crystal Palace and Osberg and, um, you know, team in Belgium, team in Spain, and now Salt Lake. So, so first, just, you know, someone where it's a natural fit for MLS saying, hey, look, I want to do it here. And then we're also maybe one of we're, – we're, we're one of a couple cities that has two professional sports franchises, mainly MLS and basketball. I mean, I think of Portland and Orlando. But we're the only one where they're tied together now with one ownership. And that is also a massive advantage. David's team is going to operate soccer. So let's talk from a time standpoint. I'm here to help. Um, regardless of ownership structure or anything else, it would be crazy to not um, want that group operating soccer. And, you know, I'm here to help. The Jazz I'm more involved with. And so I think that that's, that's kind of how I think through it. But, you know, um, you know, the NBA has been a crazy place the last couple of years. And, you know, but in both areas, it's like we hire phenomenal people who would do a way better job than I would and, and try to empower them. And I think that you, you've seen that with the Jazz, with both Jay-Z and Ainge coming in. Um, and then, you know, we're so incredibly blessed to have Quinn. Um, it's, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty phenomenal organization. And so I just try to help where I can and, and try to not, not mess it up. <laughs> yeah, for sure. You say that because of the location of the of Salt Lake City, you know, that was your interest in RSL. So it basically it had to be in Salt Lake City. Did it have to be this owner also too that you wanted to partner with? A hundred percent. And that that was that was one of the reasons why. I mean, Blitz called me and said, Hey, I'm thinking about this. If you're in, I'm in. And and that's really how it happened. And and then we started talking and it started getting much more exciting um, from, from that standpoint. Um, so it's, it, I think, I think it's, a, it's a good move. I mean, this is in its short time, RSL is, has become a storied franchise. And um, there's a lot of respect around the league for what the, I mean, look, going to the Western Conference playoffs this last year and, um, you know, winning a championship, it's, it's, it's been, been an interesting um and with the academy and everything that they've done um i feel like i've been fortunate to try to kind of take stewardship over two amazing franchises and, and try to take them to the next level and and that's how sports works there are people in the organization who have seen synergy between these two teams for uh for at least a decade. Now, there have been people along the way who didn't see it all, and there was one meeting famously where I think some, you know, somebody got laughed out of the room for even suggesting it back when the team was worth 10 or 15% of what it's worth now. Uh, 
and I've heard all kinds of speculation about how good this can be for the business side of both these clubs and the, the synergy, the amount of um, money and resources it could free up in selling sponsorships, selling tickets, food and beverage, uh, luxury. I mean, there's a whole list of stuff. How much of that stuff is overblown and how much of that stuff do you see and, and see that as what you bring to the table? Um, you know, it's a good question. I think that there's definitely massive synergy. You don't, I mean, anyone can sit there and think through the synergies. And first of all, let's just, let's not talk financial or business side. Let's just talk community side. Every jazz fan should be an RSL fan and vice versa, right? They both have different fan groups. You know, I, I, I've gone around, God, the last two years and, ask anyone anywhere like who's your nba team they say no it's like i'm sending you a jazz shirt like you're ours <laughs> like will you be a jazz fan <laughs> yeah right we have so many people that have relocated to utah and it should be part of their welcome packet here's your jazz sticker here's your rsl sticker come on we're choosing your teams here it is and they love it they love being a part of something and so I think from a community standpoint, um, that's the first thing that gets me excited is, hey, there's, there's a little bit of different seasoning going on. Um, it's, it's a break. RSL is not playing as many games. Um, and I think, I think there's been a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a scarcity mentality, but, you know, I'll just give you one touch point. I mean, we played on New Year's Day here against the Warriors and, you know, we were pretty sold out. I mean, the place was electric. But that exact same time, we probably had 50,000 fans down at the Road Bowl, right? And and if you just think where Utah's come, that's that's pretty special. And so I think that there's a lot of synergies at being able to have these two organizations tied. And, I mean, they're different organizations. We kept them completely independent. Um, they do that on purpose. I think they'll both operate way better. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not hard. I mean, from, from jerseys and swag to, you know, food contracts. And there, there's, a lot, there's a lot that can be done on the business side. And, but, but I'm much more excited about just the connection with the community and some of the things that are working well on both sides. And, and just getting the community involved in sports because – in a world where, Kyle, it feels like everything's just dividing us, um, you know, especially during COVID and other things. Like, people can go watch sports and, and forget about life for a while. And we all can agree on something as a community. And it, that's why I'm doing this, um, truly is. I mean, I want to win, and I'm super competitive. And, you know, there's nothing I want more than championships for Utah. And if I can help try to bring that, then it's it's definitely worth it. But along the way, we, we've got to get our community involved. And I love where the jazz is going with that and how we're reaching out. And, um, you know, we started the Jazz Foundation, which is the one that's doing the scholarships. And, um, you know, the jazz have always had that spot in the community. So I'm wondering for you, how much of a challenge is it to balance being an owner so you have to be fiscally responsible and all that type of stuff versus being a fan 
where you want the team to win and you may have connections to individuals that you may have to part with? Um, well, look, the NBA, for example, is, is a really unique spot right now. I would say over the last five years, the NBA looks very different than it's ever looked. You know, if you look at the ownership groups in the NBA, these, these owners are not messing around. Um, if I look at the peer group out there, whether it's Balmer, it's Cuban, um, you know, I can just go group by group. Um, what you saw in Milwaukee, um, you know, it's not just a couple of ownership groups. Um, Brooklyn, which Osai, they're they're in it to win it. And you know, you've got you've got two teams this year that are further over the salary cap than all, and then the luxury tax than every team combined last year, which is crazy. Um, you know, with with Brooklyn and and you know the the Warriors. And so I think I think the ultimate goal is that we we really truly try to win and take this to the next level. And the Jazz are such a stable organization. I mean, um, and and we want that stability, but it's also very very difficult to go from you know good to great, right? And you know a, a lot of the reason for um, you know I mean wanting to tap Danny is because he's an individual that's been able to do that and he's at a point in his career where there's not a lot of ego and he just wants to come in and help and he's here and um you know you got one of the best basketball minds in the world who's had one of the most stable franchises and has more playoff wins than than anyone the last 15 years and you know how do we get from good to great and and we're there and Kind of never, you never know. Like no one would have predicted what happened last year in the playoffs. And you know, I like our guys. I like our spot, and it's um, we're pretty fortunate. Um, it's pretty fortunate to be a sports fan in Utah right now. Ryan Smith joining us, Jazz majority owner, and now he has a minority stake in Real Salt Lake as well. Uh, there were a lot of owners who took a big hit during COVID. Live events took a big hit. Do you feel like, and, and you probably know more because I think the commissioners and the owners have access to a lot of information, do you feel like that you're at the tail end of that right now? Do you feel like you're in the middle of it and financially you're still going to be battling this going forward? What do you what do you think? Man, it's. I feel like every time we feel like we're, we're turning a corner, um, this happens, and it's, it's a hard year for – hard couple of years for for just so many people and there's so much suffering that's been going on but um you know i think we're learning is a is a society to kind of try to work through this and you know i i i love the idea of having people together i mean when we came out you know there's i mean we see the backlash when we say hey you got to be vaccinated you got to be tested in the arena and COVID's over, and then here we are today, right, where we've got players who are testing positive. We're, we're up in Toronto tonight where the entire city shut down, and I'm just grateful for our fan base and our community for trying to do their part in keeping it open because, you know, we could very, very easily be in a spot where we don't have live events, and that's just not good or sustainable for anyone. 
And so I think, um, you know, I appreciate Utah for, for kind of leaning in and, and trying to help get through it because it's, it's unprecedented. I mean, no one's been through this before and, you know, it's hard and there's a lot that a lot of people don't understand. And so I think we're all just kind of leaning in together. And I think what Adam Silver just came out and did and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to have to learn to play through this, whether it's 10 day contracts or whatever else, like the show's going to go on. Um, whereas, you know, and we were part of, I mean, we shut down the world, not just the NBA, but the Utah jazz. Like that was the tipping point to say, Hey, look, we're in, we're in Oklahoma city and, and, um, everything kind of, Oh, wow, this is serious. So we're taking a different approach. Um, and, and fortunately, um, we've been able to do it, but health and safety are our first priority and, and it's challenging, man. And it, it, it takes a toll on everyone. I mean, I would say the last two years in the NBA are, are equivalent to five years <laughs> and, and, you know, coaching players, like it's hard. It is hard. And, you know, the travel, not knowing who's playing, not knowing, you know, testing, landing in a city at two in the morning. And instead of going to bed, it's, you know, wake up at six and test so you can get your test back. It's, it, it's a grind and it, and it truly has taken a toll on mental health and everything else. And so everyone's just trying to get through it. I think the biggest surprise for me, Ryan, is why aren't you in Maui with Tony? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's, uh, it's caddy. Mark's got to get back on the bag and get a little rhythm with him, <laughs> Right. Like, we want we want everyone to to feel good about where they stand. <laughs> but he uh look, I hope uh we had a good little run there, man. I mean on Saturday <laughs> it, it, in in the, the Bahamas, like we we got it going. That course is just super tough. The wind started coming and Tony hit the ball so good. And you know, it was we had some serious warning track power that week where <laughs> we where where it was it was going and even on even on sunday on the weekend like we we had a good chance to do it but it was what an amazing experience there's not a better human than tony finau um you know we played a lot of golf together i i've been in tournament play next to him and you know he called me and was just like hey i need you and i was like all right Uh, but i had no idea that we'd be racing into contention on saturday i was just trying to not lose clubs and i mean the first day i think i lost like two head covers and <laughs> didn't break so I, I was just but it was it was super funny because the next day we we actually ended up playing with patrick reed and he's like how many strokes did ryan cost you yesterday <laughs> like man maybe one or two he's like oh great my caddy's normally four or five so i i felt better and you know but it's it's crazy to be out there yeah you, you basically had the Ryder cup out there with the top 20 players in the world and and um, the top 20 caddies in the world. And, you know, it's intimidating when you're sitting there and Bones is next to you and you're trying to, hey, will you, will you grab the bunker? Will you get yardage? But but Tony keeps it so cool. It's, what you see is what you get. He's probably one of the most chill humans in the world. And that's why he's so good at golf. Like, he just, he can shake it off. And there's a, there's a, lot, of, there's a lot of lessons there, man. I mean, on Sunday we played with Scotty Scheffler who triple bogeyed the third hole. And 
he's talking to me like nothing happened on the way over, and then he goes and rips off nine birdies in a row and takes second of the tournament. There you go. Ryan Smith, and uh, he's talking about Tony Finau there. He's playing in the Tournament of Champions, the Century Tournament of Champions, over there at Kapalua in Maui. We actually get to that here in a moment in five minutes. Up, I thought it was a great conversation overall with Ryan, a guy who I think understands what this state means to people who live here, the teams that are here, et cetera. So good stuff. Hope you guys enjoyed that. If you want to listen to it in its entirety, you can go and uh, find it, DJ and PK in the morning. You can listen to the entirety of that conversation if you want to go back and listen to it once again. All right. Uh, more in a moment. We'll get to five minutes of one of our favorite segments here on the Saturday show. That's all coming up next right here on the Zone Sports Network. Live. We talk jazz, utes, cougars, and aggies, even on the weekend. The weekend. You're locked on to the Saturday show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network brought to you by our friends over at Mountainland Supply. We are getting close to the end of today's show, but we still need to get to our five minutes of and talk about some of the other topics we haven't had, have not had a chance to touch on quite yet today. And let's start where we typically start and let's start with some sake. to play it through for Lucas Moura. Straight race with Anderson. Off here to start the power play. Shot by Stamkos. He scores. Steven Stamkos rips it home. Six seconds into the power play had been fed up, and before Shesterkin can move, it was flying in and out of the net. 
There you go. Highlights from both the soccer and hockey worlds out there. We combine the two of them into one tidy little uh, package and call it Saki. Uh, let's start off on the hockey front here, Eric. Uh, I think the biggest thing is your Colorado Avalanche are quite hot all of a sudden. Rolling. <laughs> Rolling. I mean, they're arguably the best scoring team in the NHL. Uh I don't know if you watched Hockey Night on Tuesday night, uh, but ESPN Plus had Blackhawks Avalanche. Wasn't blacked out. Thank you very much, ESPN Plus, for giving me some nationally broadcast Avalanche games. I appreciate that. Uh, Kale McCarr with just one of the craziest goals you'll ever see, spinning away from a defender and then putting it up in the top shelf backhand. But no. NHL season, it's kind of the thick of things right now. This is when the standings get determined is these next few weeks where everything's going to be, you know, kind of up and down and you might see some surprising results, but the level of play is really going to amp up within the next month or so around President's Day. That's when the best time to watch hockey is. Uh, it'll be fun. Uh, one other note on that is Alexander Ovechkin. He's 36 years old. The record, so the great one, obviously, Wayne Gretzky's record, his scoring record, is in sight for him. Well, Ovi, uh, the great eight, is getting even better, it seems like. He's, he, I think he's going to break that record. I, I think yep, he is. I think so, too. So some crazy stuff there. Okay, on the soccer front, as you just heard, Real Salt Lake uh, purchased by a group headed by David Blitzer. Uh, he has a very unique uh, network. As you heard uh, Ryan Smith in the previous segment talking about, this dude owns or has stakes in six uh, clubs in Europe. This is his first stake in North American soccer with Real Salt Lake. Uh, he's building something that seems like similar to what Man City has done with clubs around the world, but I think... The overall message I take away from this is David Blitzer has big plans for Real Salt Lake, and it's cool to have a local connection with Ryan Smith, kind of that anchor to keep the club here. I didn't think they were in any danger of moving to begin with, but I just think it's really cool to have ownership finally in place after a 15-month saga of getting that taken care of. But it's good to finally know that RSL is in capable hands. Let's just put it that way. So. Uh, good stuff for RSL on that front. Uh, Eric, I'm sure you've seen these as well. Albert Rusnok is yeah. just rumored to be going everywhere and anywhere. Yeah. I know he loves living here in Utah. I'd be stunned if he goes elsewhere. Okay. It, it, obviously, it all goes it, money's, you know, money talks. That helps to hear uh, from from someone who who's a little bit closer to the inside information than I am for RSL. But, you know, I think – The best thing that David Blitzer can do is make a commitment to the players that are on the roster right now and then go out and use use the DP spot. Because the the we also like just hasn't for years. Albert Rusnak was the last guy they brought in on that kind of a deal. Like go get another guy. Go bring in another guy to play beside Demir Krylock and you know, Albert Rusnak and get your big three up front or get a defender or a, a, a special midfielder and go out and suddenly getting to the Western Conference Finals wasn't such a fluke. You now have one of the better teams in the Western Conference. I think having the cash influx that they got with the ownership group will actually lead them to do that. And I, 
let's be honest, uh, David Blitzer, he's got clubs all around the world. He knows what this sport is all about, and it's all about having top uh, top players. And I think they'll, they'll do that. Um, one other note on soccer before we move on to some other topics. Toronto FC has signed yeah. Lorenzo Insigne. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, from Napoli, uh, from Serie A in Italy. Uh, Insigne is a player that you don't typically see come to MLS at this point in his career. He's 30 years old. He's yeah, in prime. Yeah, he's in his prime. He's world-class by every metric and incredible he could earn as much as 12.5 million dollars a year joining toronto fc and toronto just continues to pull off these huge signings i don't know what it is but they just do this time in and time out uh bill manning former club president here in salt lake is still with toronto fc uh he helped uh do this and also bob bradley uh is taking over as head coach there in toronto well, he's got a star forward. Uh, there's no st- doubt about that. Uh, Insigne has made over 400 appearances since graduating from Napoli's Academy, making his senior debut in 2010. Uh, he's become a staple for them over the past decade. He's won the Italian Cup twice. He's also played for Italy at the international level, 10 goals and 53 caps, and obviously won the Euro 2020 last year with Italy as well. So huge signing for Toronto FC in Major League Soccer news. Now, other uh, things in five minutes of here. Let's spend some time on uh, golf. Uh, the season has unofficially, officially begun. I know that the PGA Tour starts their season in the fall, technically. They play a bunch of also-ran tournaments with like nobody really playing in them. Uh, but the, I think the real season starts, and starts this weekend. It started Thursday with the Century Tournament of Champions at Kapalua over there in Hawaii. Uh pictures and video I've seen I've watched actually watched quite a bit of, of the action yesterday who makes me just regret even watching golf because it's just it looks glorious yeah I bet it, it it'd be fun to go play golf in Hawaii I have played, thought I've played golf in Hawaii I have played golf in Hawaii it's glorious I'm just saying here in Utah we got snow on the ground and yeah. then watching that she's just like why am I why am I torturing myself? Why am I doing this to myself? Yeah, it's not great. But nonetheless, Cameron Smith uh, leads the tournament currently. A third round action will get underway later this afternoon. I think the earliest tee time is actually yeah, 12:50. Uh the funny thing about this is Hawaii it's so far behind uh, in terms of the time zones, you actually get golf in prime time uh, in the continental United States. So first tee times at 12.50. Uh, Tony Finau is the only local connection playing this by virtue of his win at the Northern Trust last year. Uh, Finau was way back in the field, tied for 27th at 7 under par, 10 strokes behind Cameron Smith, who was at 17 under. Daniel Berger and John Rahm are three strokes back uh, at 14 under in that tournament. Uh, so... Fun to have golf playing. And by the way, I saw current weather in uh, Kapalua on uh, island of Maui. Eric, any guesses on what the temperature is currently there in Kapalua? A crisp 68 degrees. Try 79. 79. Wow. <laughs> Just sounds glorious. I I, I don't know. It, it, I, I torture myself by watching golf this time of year. I, I actually got to the driving range yesterday. I had to go to the driving range. That was fun. Got to, got to swing the sticks a little bit. So I know one thing uh, that tips off while we're talking about country club sports is... Country club is, sports. I like that. Country club sports. Good call. Tennis, you know, start very majors start in about two weeks or so, the no, Australian com- Open. Coming up in the next week or so, yeah, the yeah, Australian Open opens up. Uh, when's the first major for golf this year? It's the Masters. It's always in April. Okay, so the Masters is always the first one. Yes, yeah. See, I feel like that's wrong. I feel like it's the How most— How is that Im- wrong? It's the perfect it's one the to kick it off. the most important one. It should be the last one. 
lead off, man. That's what you want. You want huh? big okay. dog number one. Got it. <laughs> okay. Uh, so yeah, I uh, can't wait for the Masters. It's fun. Uh, yeah. So the, I'm uh, gonna try to watch this year. You're gonna try to watch? Yeah, I'm gonna try to watch and not fall asleep. Do or do not. There is no try. I'm gonna do my best. No. Do or do not, there is no trouble. Fine, I'll do it. <laughs> All right, that's what we like to hear. All right, we will round out today's show here in just a moment. You're listening to The Saturday Show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on the Zone Sports Network. Eric, you're not trying to roast me this week, huh? Not this week. I think there's some good material from this week that we can snowball uh, into next week. I just needed some weeks to get. Let's just kill it. Let's just not not do that moving forward. Okay? Fine. If you want. <laughs> we can shut it down. Come on. You're supposed to be the producer. Like, no, I'm doing that anyways. Come on now. Well, I just want to have friends uh, at the you, end of the day. You do have friends. Come on. We're all friends around here. Of course. Uh, thanks to all of you for joining us here on the Saturday show. And, of course, the Saturday show is proudly presented by our friends at Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. All right, as we round out today's show, uh, I talked earlier about the Utah Jazz and I, what I thought, frankly, was an astonishing performance for them last night. Despite the loss in Toronto, the Jazz, I'm calling them the B-side squad. They just did not have their typical guys, their top eight players. And some may quibble that uh, you'd have Hassan Whiteside inside the top of it. The Jazz rotation is nine guys. The only guy in that rotation uh, was Hassan Whiteside, who played last night. And I thought, frankly, that squad performed beyond my expectations, I think beyond most of Jazz Nation's expectations. Uh, maybe I'm wrong about that. Uh, had a first-half lead that carried on into the second half before the Toronto Raptors said, you know what, we actually may want to play this game and win it. And credit to Toronto, they did. And credit to Fred Van Vliet. Had a 24-point third quarter, perfect shooting, uh, just absolutely turned it on. That's a dude that's probably on track to make the NBA All-Star game, and you forced him to turn that on to beat you. That was kind of the important part, is that the the Jazz forced the Toronto Raptors to go out and beat them. This was not a game the Jazz showed up and just we're just happy here to play the game. No, they went and took it to Toronto and forced the Raptors to win that game. And considering how depleted the Jazz were, i got to say that's a very, very impressive showing for them. They are right back at it tonight. Five o'clock, a tip in Indianapolis against the Indiana Pacers. Uh, the good news is, is some of the regulars are going to be back in the lineup. Our good friend Ben Anderson putting this out about 30 minutes ago, the Jazz injury report for today. So out, Joe Ingles and Rudy Gobert, of course, due to health and safety protocols. Malik Fitz, who played last night, it looked like late in the game he did uh, pick up another injury. He is out tonight with a right wrist injury, according to the Jazz injury report. So those three players will not play. Questionable, Royce O'Neal and Rudy Gay. O'Neal uh, dealing with patellar, ten- patellar tendinitis, easy for me to say. And Rudy Gay out due to right heel uh, injury management. He obviously had offseason surgery on his heel. And then uh, two good good notes. Boyan Bogdanovich is probable due to a left finger sprain that he's been nursing. 
and Donovan Mitchell probable with a low left back strain. The two players left off this list. I don't. We. I have not seen anybody say anything about it. Jordan Clarkson and Mike Conley, who missed last night's game. Uh, uh, Clarkson was listed out with lower back tightness, and Mike Conley, similar to Rudy Gay, was uh, right knee management. Uh, so maybe they're playing. Maybe they don't even put them on the injury report. So that could be four of your rotation guys could be back in tonight's game. And I think that'd be welcome news if you're a Jazz fan because that gives them an infinitely higher chance of beating the Indiana Pacers. Indeed. I think that the Pacers are still a team that's trying to figure out whether they want to blow it up or not. They better just blow it up. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably smart to just blow it up at this point. But they're a middling NBA team. Mm-hmm. If you get your some of your starters back, that should help you out. I think the Jazz should be able to get a win tonight. Yeah, it, it, it'll be interesting to see uh, where it all shakes out in the end. But if you get some of those guys back, Donovan Mitchell, Boyan Bogdanovich, if Jordan Clarkson and or Mike Conley are available tonight, that makes you a much better team. And having Hassan Whiteside, who played last night, he's available. It gives you the inside presence that you need, and you can play with that small ball lineup if need be. And Eric Paschal can probably play that five spot that Rudy Gay's been manning. And you and I talked about this earlier on before we go here, Eric is the Eric Pascal. What he showed last night, a much more versatile offensive game than I think any of us thought he he had. Yeah, and I mean the one thing I, that we didn't get to that I wanted to point out is I, I never realized just because he doesn't get a lot of playing time how long he is. Oh yeah, he plays much bigger than his six foot like, five frame. He played a little bit of perimeter last night. Mm-hmm. They should really work that with him. They should because. Every every analyst in the entire world says, oh, the Jazz need a long wing defender. And if they can they develop him into that, and he played some wing last night and played pretty well, if they can develop him into that and he can come in in spurts and defend well during the playoffs, he is an absolutely awesome ad. Yeah, and obviously he, I, I think he's proven to be a, a, a capable piece for the Jazz roster. There's no doubt about that. And we'll see. Uh, if he develops into that, that'd be fantastic. They can just have some homegrown ability on that front rather than having to trade for it. So big opportunity ahead. Uh, pre-game coverage of that game starts at 4 o'clock here on the, on the Zone Sports Network. Utah State coverage begins at 5.30. Eric will be producing that. Scott Gerard will be on the call for Utah State and New Mexico. So a full day ahead here on The Zone. A big thank you to all of you for joining us here on the Saturday show. Brought to you by our friends at Mountainland Supply. We'll be back next Saturday, 10 a.m. Join us then. This has been The Saturday Show right here on The Zone Sports Network. See ya. Smoke them all